The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're live in the Seattle area on 1150 AM KKNW on TransformationTalkRadio.com, as well as Facebook Live on Transformation Talk Radio's page, as well as um, my professional page. Um, and of course, if you're listening after the fact, you might be listening on one of the dozens of podcasts that sends up or on my YouTube channel. You know, we, we're sort of getting my YouTube channel up and, and going, so you can find your way to that as well. Um, Anyway, wherever and whenever you're listening from today, we're really grateful to have you here. I'm excited about the show today. Um, but before I get into who our guest is and what we're going to be talking about, I want to say hello to the people behind the scenes. First of all, Kyle, who set up this interview, and Mr. Benny Mathers at KKNW. Hello. Hi, Christine. Welcome back for another one. And um, I'm patiently waiting for your YouTube channel, yes. Patiently? Oh, waiting. Yes. 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 Yes, but you already know, don't you? I you do, do. kind of. I just didn't want to <laughs> leave everybody out of it. <laughs> oh, and hello to Olivia at TTR. Uh, thank you for doing your magic to make this all get coordinated. Of course, anytime. Uh, you know, we've done shows before about near-death experiences. And oftentimes when somebody has a near-death experience, they're, you know, grown up, they're they're well into adulthood, they have established their belief systems, and then they have this near-death experience which sort of blows things wide open, and they have to assimilate and, and shift based on that change. But what happens if you have your near-death experience when you're a young child, and then you go through the socialization that we have in, in, within families, within religion, within schools, how do you kind of assimilate as you're trying to grow up and fit in? Our guest today had to have that ex exact experience, and he's learned some interesting things along the way. His name is Jacob Cooper, and he holds a Master's of Social Work, and he's a licensed clinical social worker. He's also a certified Reiki master, so he's worked in the woo-woo realm, too, a certified hypnotherapist, and he specializes in past life regression. I'm going to want to talk to him about that, too. As a psychotherapist, Jacob works with individuals, groups, and families in, man in managing emotional barriers, promoting improved wellness and resiliency. Jacob incorporates mindfulness and a spiritual approach to focus on the connection between the mind, body, and spirit. In effect, he teaches individuals how to improve their cognitive processing and shift their perspectives, given that he knows that this is a much wider reality than many people embrace. Based on his near-death experience and past life regressions, Jacob shares insight about the mystery of life on the other side, um, and he helps bring the knowledge and the knowingness from those experiences into this reality, which is oh so important right now because we are going through some shifts. 
our planet is changing. And, you know, I think probably a lot of our viewers and listeners understand that we are on a transformational path, but we've got more to assimilate. So what lessons does he have for us so that we can make this process of ascension, if you want to call it, of higher vibrational expansion, if you'd rather call it that, or just transformation, if you're more comfortable with that. So we're going to be talking today to Jacob, um, sorry, J Jacob Cooper, and he is the author of Life After Breath, How a Brush with Fatality Gave Me a Glimpse of Immortality. And there's his brand new book. Really excited to have our guest today, Jacob Cooper. Hey, Jake. I know you as Jake because I've known you from Facebook. Jacob, Jake, you know, say, same okay. deal. Thank you so much for having me on your wonderful program. Oh, it's so a welcome. true honor. Thank you. Yeah. And, and it's funny because we just booked another Jacob and, um, and I just saw an email about that. And that's why I had that, that momentary glitch. It's like, oh no, that Jacob's on the 29th. So <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for that. I know exactly who you are. And you and I first connected on Facebook and uh, it was before you had written this book. So before we get into your story, what prompted you to put your experiences into book form? Yes, you know, that, that's a wonderful question. Um, I would say the first part of it was the importance of story. Um, mm -hmm. I was always um, very intrigued with ancient Egyptian cultures and how mm -hmm. they would build up their whole lifetime you know, towards the afterlife, right? Every action was kind of like a momentum to that. But also when they wrote their stories within tombs and stuff like that, they had to wait to the very end, right, to, to write their story. Sure. Um, and I saw this age right now was a much different ballgame in a sense that as people are awakening, uh, we're empowering people to not wait to the very end, rather to take this moment and seize it and tell your story. And mm -hmm. um, yes, I had a brush with fatality and I survived, but I do believe as long as we're stories are being told, uh, we can never truly, you know, leave this world in a way, you know? So yeah. for me, it was about a ripple effect and pivotal moments that we're going mm -hmm. through. And I do believe that yours is an unusual experience. I mean, I know that there are like Robert Moss is another person who had an earlier near-death experience. But your near-death experience happened at age three, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's, that affects things differently, because I think about all the pressure growing up to fit into family, to fit into the religious culture in which I was brought up, to fit into the school settings, to fit in, in um, you know, in work settings. That seems like a, a bigger challenge to have it earlier rather than later in some ways, and yet you get the wisdom sooner than the other people, you know, who have a later near-death experience yet. Did it bring you challenges? Absolutely, and I get very candid within the book, you know, some of those challenges, you know, I started therapy and you know, medication management, you know, in my early teen teenage years, you know, um, even a little bit before that. So I was quite, you know, defiant. I had a very difficult time concentrating in school. I was not a very good student. Um, it's just trying to grab a tiger by the tail, basically. I mean, I couldn't, they couldn't box me in. I, I, I had a lot of kind of, at the time, looking back, I'm going to be able to understand a little bit of the whys, but I just was very much against whatever they're trying to do to me um, mm -hmm. in a subconscious or conscious manner. 
So, yeah. but uh, that, that was challenging. Um, and, you know, if you look at near-death experience researchers such as PMH Atwater, um, I know she wrote a book called Forever Angels, which is a little bit about children and infant see uh, near-death experiences, but usually the integrative period is around 20 to 30 years. So I was sense. kind of in timeline with the process, the outer processing and the verbiage of my experience. And I think about, um, uh, think about trauma, childhood trauma. And of course that's very different than a childhood near-death experience, but for those who've experienced trauma as children, they kind of have to suppress it, avoid it, forget it, not deal with it. Of course, it gets stored within their psyche and their bodies, but um, it, it's not until they're older when they've individuated and they're no longer in within the programming that they're experiencing that they can actually face it and assimilate it. And I imagine with near-death experience, it may be something similar. Yes, you know, I think there's um, a glorified interpretation, you know, in the public about near-death experiences that focuses right. on you know, the euphoric elements of it. Um, and not all near-death experiences are the same. You know, some are more distressing, you know, than others. Um, right. They're all kind of different. But um, I am not a stranger publicly to discuss also uh, the trauma that happened from it of suffocation. Yeah, I don't so tell us about your, your experience when you were three. So at the time at three years old, I didn't know it, but I had an upper respiratory, highly contagious, um, just, you know, disease called whipping cough, or mm -hmm. the actual term is pertussis. Right. And I went to a park with family friends, just like any other day. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be right before the Jewish holiday, September of 1993 of Yom Kippur, a time of mm -hmm. a day of atonement where you were meeting God and trying to clean your sins so that you could sure. live a year of health and well-being. Uh, but I guess I was going to meet a different kind of God that I was brought up in. Right. And I was in my car and I just had, you know, difficult breathing and a lot of stuff that I get into the book a little bit before about the experience. And we'll talk a little bit how I'm able to remember that. But um, okay. at three years old, but, you know, I got out of the car, I ran as fast as I could. But again, my breathing was a lot more labored. And I went on, I was going on top of a ladder, climbing a ladder, you know, to a slide and at the last rung, when I stood up, I literally suffocated. I couldn't, you know, grab for any air. And then slowly, kind of like a power breaker in your home, you know, each part of my functional uh, biology, biology, bio, biology was going. Um, mm -hmm. And I just remember the last part that I was able to be cognizant of looking, you know, down at it was my brain. And I was able mm -hmm. at the age of three years old to understand all the different functionalities of the brain from being in this disembodied heightened state. And I often allude to that you can't really fully understand the brain if you use 15% of it in general to understand itself. And so when you have these right. heightened awareness and you're out of your body, you have a clear knowing of not only deeper part of you, but also the functionality of, of the body. Um, and, and of course at age three, you wouldn't have any of the scientific background to yeah. be understanding that. I, I wasn't like Dr. Eben Alexander. I wasn't a Harvard right. neurosurgeon or anything like that. No, three-year-old three kid. Uh, so okay. I wasn't privy to any of this. And then slowly my brain, due to the deprivation of oxygen, just literally shut down. I literally heard a crack in my brain, which is the loudest mm -hmm. sound I've ever heard due to the deprivation of oxygen. And once that kind of cracked, everything 
else opened up. So I stayed in my book, my brain cracked open and God came in as the saying goes, literally that happened to me. Uh, but after that, you know, that's when, you know, everything opened up from an awareness of uh, spiritual guides to angels, to soul's purpose, to, you know, past life awareness, um, to choice of staying or going. Um, so it was, it was just fascinating. Um, and we could go over, I'm sure, some of the intrinsicies too that I feel are relevant regarding bringing the hereafter to the here now for people. And, but, and we uh, will get to that for experience. sure. Yeah. Uh, so um, who was with you at the time in that park? So I went with my babysitter. It was a good family friend. Mm -hmm. uh, her name is Rhonda. We call her Help Me Rhonda, like the Beach Boys song. Yes. I <laughs> went with her and her husband, Ken, and the kids and my uh -huh. sibling. And so we would just, you know, they take us to the park. It was a nice, you know, kind of end of summer kind of day. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just something that we did. So, um, yeah, that's that's who was with us. At the time of the park, I the frustrating element when I suffocated was I, I was now, I guess, cognizant to how spirits feel on the other side. When in suffocation, I was able to see my body, they're flatlined on, you know, on the ground, irresponsive to the people. But I was able to be aware of a field of, of the body of my soul, in a sense that you know, the physical body, then we kind of had the soul body. And I was trying to communicate. I was trying to just talk to the people around me because they were calling my name, Jakey, at they would call me instead of Jake. Yeah. Sure. My body wasn't responding, but I was trying to grab them. I'm like, I am more than fine. You mm -hmm. know, so, um, so the experience really, I, I, I had that experience and also a keen awareness to what I would like to call God in my own experience. Uh -huh. uh, and I think that's and, up to interpretation, but that's the most generic term I could phrase it to people. Yeah. And we will talk about your experience, but as a, a mom who's had kids, um, how did they bring you out of it? How did, how, you know, was it a choice that you made on the other side to come back or, or was there something they did to revive you? Yeah. There was, you know, with near-death experiences, there's either two options. Either you choose to come back or you have no choice. Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're told that you need to come back. For me, it was a decision. It was a decision based on many factors. Uh, the first factor was not to sound self-aggrandizing, but um, I, I was keenly aware of, you know, the loss of an infant. And I, I just, at the time, I, I couldn't stomach that, you know, and I think right, everyone right. has a choice in a way. And for those who have lost parents, it's not like the kids want to do that to you. I think it's just everyone's path. And from sure. you could just speak on my unique experience for what it was. Mm -hmm. uh, the second reason, you know, why I stayed was uh, a clear understanding of, of not not that I needed to do anything. You know, I think we're fine just the way that we are, but more of a, of a desire to to rectify, you know, a couple of things that didn't go, you know, up up to kind of speed um, from mm -hmm. my last lifetime. In a sense, okay. um, you know, that this lifetime is very much about clearing, you know, that last lifetime. And uh, mm -hmm. if you have a moment, <laughs> I think it's very important, but maybe we could talk a little bit about that, you know. Yeah. And, and let's, so I can breathe this idly. I mean, obviously you survived, but I, I think about um, that situation, I'm stuck in that situation. There you are and you're out of your body and you're, you're, you know, saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, and your babysitter friend, family friend is very concerned. And ultimately you breathe again. Okay. So 
in that period of time when you are above your body, what happens from there? I was, I was keenly aware of like both dimensions interplaying where I was actually rushed on an ambulance and I was a responsive and then I was put you know, in the hospital. Uh -huh. um, but I, you know, I would say that the one element that I have to understand the other side is it's just merely a higher vibration. You know, in a mm -hmm. sense, I literally felt myself going up on kind of like a roller coaster ride to almost uh -huh. infinity in a sense, uh -huh. there was no limitations, you know, of the body that we have for an experience. You know, you're having an unlimited experience when you're out of your body. And so there was no right. limitation for how high I could soar, how good I could feel. Uh, but mm -hmm. what I can mm -hmm. see is this heaven is literally right here. And the reason why I mm -hmm. say that is I was aware of my body, you know, flatline, but I was also cognizant of cherubim or childlike angels that were an endless sea of angels that was literally surrounding the park scene that I that you know where I was uh -huh. and when I saw these angelic beings I kind of pinched myself as if like I was just bugging out it was too much to just see but literally it's it's a thin veil mm -hmm. you know it's very thin and yes I would say the other side is could feel a million miles away but also it's right here too mm. it's just a thin veil beyond this physical you know paradigm so and, and that's a and, really important point, Jake. It, it's, it's very important. Um, one of the things I found interesting was, you know, you were raised in a Jewish family and didn't you see Jesus? You know, I had an awareness of a sensation of what you would call Christ awareness or Christ consciousness. Uh -huh. Right. I didn't, you know, see him in form. Right. You know, when crossing over on the, on the other side, it was almost kind of like this whisper, this sensation, this high expression, you know, of, of the great light or of, or of God, as you call it. And mm -hmm. when I was in that field, you know, it was just the most I could kind of describe it as is just an intensely high vibration and light that was incredibly comforting. Mm -hmm. And what I kind of take from that is who we are is just expressions of rays of God, you know, or of Absolutely. And I yeah. think with each and every lifetime, as we get to evolve, we become closer and closer, you know, you know, to that high vibration. Um, mm -hmm. And we integrate that through every lifetime through, through evolving. And um, for our, our listeners and viewers, I, there's a distinction between Jesus per se and Christ consciousness. Christ, you know, many say that, that Jesus was expressing Christ consciousness within his lifetime, and there have been others who have as well. And of course, many of us believe that it is a seed within each and every one of us to be sure. nurtured, not, not just associated with that one being who had been here on earth you know, a couple yeah. thousand years ago. Absolutely. There's a saying, the afterlife, religion, and all those elements exist not mm -hmm. uh, because of, um, you know, not because, no, spirituality in the afterlife exists not because of religion, but kind of despite of it, in the sense you could find spirituality and elements of the afterlife, you know, within religion, but exists despite of it. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I would say there's an external portrayal, you know, of Jesus, you know, through the religious construct. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then there's a personal connectivity to it uh, and an awareness of it, you know, so mm -hmm. the two are not to me the same. Right. Quite I, I agree. You know, and that internal, that, that mm -hmm. external interpretation, you know, kind of 
is more the vein of a religious kind of movement. Mm -hmm. um, what I kind of experienced was it, it was something very much within that that was known, you know, that no one had to explain or tell or tell me. And to me, that's the deep root of spirituality, something yeah. that's always in our backyard that no one could really give us. It's never left us. Right. It's always there for, for me. I was raised in a Christian household, which is no surprise with the name like Christine F. Church, right? <laughs> um, and I, I didn't like how limiting the religious what religion was, and and I sort of went, you know, beyond it, um, you know, in spite of it, whatever you want to say. And it wasn't until years later that, when I became a healer, that I understood I was working with Christ consciousness and the being who came to Earth as Jesus. I felt more kinship with, but. Um, it became very clear to me that it's not just about that being and that we these days at least we have access to that consciousness yeah and i think that in many regards was the driving point behind you know jesus's life was to empower people not to just be this um you know light that we would all just be in awe of and disassociate from and, right. and not integrate right. I think it was rather that torch to light us all to remember that that is all within ourselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I think the, the biggest thing I learned from that is, you know, that's within each and every one of us, that ability to connect and that, you know, kind of seed of God, you know, within every one of right. us. There's no monopolization of almost anything, all things spiritual. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, and you were experiencing this as a three-year-old outside of your body as you're being rushed in, you know, via ambulance to the hospital. Um, tell us a little bit more about your out-of-body near-death experience. So some of the um, some of the other elements, you know, that I think worth noting was kind of an understanding as to why this happened. Um, when experiencing this, it really stripped away. Um, how I saw myself in a way is this, this three-year-old who was integrating. Um, and, and that's through these past life memories that I had. And the most close to heart past life memory was a life that I had in which I was a, a big teacher and actually intuitives has picked up verbatim everything that I've seen. And that's mentioned in the book. And I didn't, yeah. this is before I went public or told anyone. Right. Uh, but I took my own life in that last carnation. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like a life of hubris, I guess. A lot of things just got to me. And I did a couple of things that I probably shouldn't have done. And I just was kind of cornered and hopeless and boom. And so I, I understand a little bit of the karmic ties behind the near-death experience mm -hmm. uh, as a spirituality with practicality implications of the allegory in reference to the tunnel that I experienced as well as with the afterlife experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think... You know, one of my karmic duties was to work, obviously, as a therapist and to empower people to entrust uh, what's inside of you is much greater than what's outside of you and to give yeah. more power to power to eter eternity um, versus, you know, this constant change, you know, mm -hmm. that's always, you know, on the outside, but it's there for the greater good. Um, so do you feel like you... you um are here to be the teacher without making some of those mistakes um, and choosing a different path? Do you think it, you, you're, you've begun that, you know, this life 
um, as an extension of and, and, and to get beyond what you had experienced before as a teacher? Yeah, you know, I, I think from completion we begin, in a sense, with each. I mm-hmm. tend to come in and um, there's a newness, Say, but, but there, I'm sorry? Say that again. I think from completion we begin. It's almost kind of like that snake that kind of bites its own tail. It's kind of like a, it's a cycle. Okay. But um, yes, we come in in a new instrument, um, you know, in, in different environments, cultures, time frames. Uh, the instrument is a little bit different, but the guitar player is there, right? Right. And so I think we learn how to refine and play our instrument a little bit better because I do believe that we're all vibrations and we're here to contribute to this eternal Perfect. symphony. And the better our song is, the more of a ripple effect it has, you know, on the symphony that we're all a part of. Right. And so that deals with vibration. And so um, I would say that as a teacher, the most important thing is walking the talk, right? And, and uh, absolutely. What you preach, but also being cognizant of the human part too, where in a sense, mm-hmm. I certainly, you know, have made my mistakes and I'm not perfect. So I think it's very important to validate they're this uh, the spiritual being in this human experience, but also to not bypass the human part. Oh yeah, I'm into that. that. Yes. I always hear Neil Donald Walsh when he talks. He'll say, let's say he's talking about Eckhart Tolle. He goes, Eckhart, he backs it up. I struggle. And so Neil, as this big spiritual master, is saying that, right? I think we all, yeah. and that's and that's and that's okay, and that's important to be cognizant of and acknowledge. Huh. Right. Uh, but I think my goal really was to speak to, I think in a way, there's a lot of inner child work and the inner child work goes beyond just this lifetime or, or the or the infant. It goes to previous lifetimes. And so to nurture, you know, that part of my nature that kind of gave a lot more power mm-hmm. to fear over faith was something that I needed to evolve. And I think that's my mission in this mm-hmm. lifetime. It's a huge mission. That's a huge mission. (laughs) I don't pretend to take monopolization of the afterlife or my experience. Uh I think think my experience, ultimate collateral, is based on the implications that people integrate it as. And ultimately, they have that too. And much like intuitives or healers could say, you could do what I do and you have this gift to connect. I think we all have the ability to connect to higher consciousness and our own backyard and it's and it's beautiful so yeah so you you got to see your past life and you understood the its karmic connection to your current life Mm -hmm. um what else about your near-death experience do you remember i remember being aware of spirit guides Mm -hmm. and at the time i knew their names you know to the Uh t and you know what's interesting about my experience is it was all visual it was like you're very angelic you know what i'm saying like looking like right at something it wasn't like you know clairs or anything like that it was right. it was right there so you know the spiritual guides that i had you know they were just the most magnificent beings of light and in a sense i kind of knew them as the closest thing to your soul it was just mm-hmm kind of who you are and the closest thing to that was a spiritual guide so it was just such a tie to them and I was aware of a male and female guide that literally mm-hmm. pushed my body as I suffocated at the top of the slide down the slide I felt them 
pushing me down as, as I was flatlined. Yeah. So that, that part I do, um, you know, really remember. Um, mentioned the angels. I mentioned also to the right part of me as my brain shut down, I was mm -hmm. aware of what I refer to as a palace of, of God in a way of this great light and i was able to hear you know vibrations and sounds and be cognizant of angelic beings but it was very overwhelming hmm. you know, for me to look at this and to have this infinite roller coaster of high and of light that i was hmm. on so i almost had to kind of shield myself and this was happening at the right part of my brain so right behind me i was aware of this mm -hmm. you know, as well and as well as I, I was aware of what I like to, you know, the, the term is soul family or just, you know, a team. And I was aware of the team that was around me. And um, right. I just remembered a lot of different emotions, but the first being embarrassed. Um, embarrassed in a sense that um, I remembered throughout my childhood and when I had my NDE memories of charting my lifetime. And it's almost as if, like, let's say you go to the military and have everyone throw a big party for you and you have all these big promises. And then you come back a couple months later back home and said, you know, I, I want to come back home. So for me, I felt like ashamed in a sense that, mm. you know, and that was my thing. That wasn't their judgment. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and I, I understand. Like That's what karma is, right? And, and evaluation. We're going to go to a quick break. Um, but when we return, we're going to talk more about Jake's near-death experience, and also we're going to want to hear from you about um, how you learn to process it and the gifts that you have to share with us based on that. Stay tuned for more with Jacob Cooper here in just a few moments. I'm Peggy Snow with another Stellar Reflections Minute. Presence, or what we think of as being fully in the moment, is a key element in the process of healing work. As a practitioner facilitating a session, Genuine presence takes us out of our heads where we tend to decide what is and maybe what should be for the client and moves us into direct experience where we're available to witness the person in their wholeness. In this receptive realm, our senses are heightened and expanded, allowing us to perceive what's seeking to unfold and to interact in the moment. There's something profoundly powerful that happens when healing is approached in this simple, pure way. Balance can be restored and healing can take place on multiple levels. If you'd like more information about the services we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Are you ready to branch out? Take a leap of faith. Tune in to Get Rooted Radio with Erica Gifford-Mills on TransformationTalkRadio.com to equip empower and enlighten yourself. Erica will energize and excite you to power up your passionate dream that sets your soul on fire. So get fearlessly ready and get powerfully rooted in your yes to live it up, love it up and let it go. Visit GetRootedRadio.com. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. The vibration of change. 
that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here on KKNW and Transformation Talk Radio. Today we are talking with author Jacob Cooper. He's a licensed clinical social worker and a near-death experiencer of the book Life After Breath, How a Brush with Fatality Gave Me a Glimpse of Immortality. This is what Raymond Moody has to say. Dr. Moody says, a clear, remarkable illustration that consciousness continues after death. And Anita Morjani, New York Times bestselling author, said, life after breath takes you on a mystical journey, traveling beyond this world into the spirit realm. Thought-provoking and highly inspirational, Cooper shares the wisdom of the universe as taught to him by his guides and the angels. Heartfelt and compelling, a must-read. Wow, Jake, those are some you know major compliments about your book, and I enjoyed it too. It's it's fascinating. Uh, thank you, thank you. So, okay, so you you had this near-death experience, and you chose to come back. So you were interacting with really high vibrational angels and and that that castle, whatever the palace that you called it, that was behind <laughs> yeah, your yeah, head. Yeah. Um, and you experienced stuff about your past life. When you got back, did you remember? Yes, you know, and my mom could attest to this. When I got back, I was very agitated. Mm. Um, agitated in a sense that um, I had this experience, and it was just such a contrasting change where I woke up on a hospital bed. And so mm. I had a lot of adjustment. There's a lot of turmoil in me, but a lot of anger in a sense that I turned down heaven and I end up on a hospital bed. You know, so that was yeah. agitation. And I literally, my mother tells me to this day, I got so mad that I kicked my doctor in the leg. <laughs> I got so agitated. My mom tell, talks about this all the time. I was very, there was a lot brewing and it manifested itself as anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a stark difference between the angelic realm and a hospital bed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't imagine with having that knowingness, that knowledge, and then navigating, you know, strict religious upbringing, um, school of various sorts, um, and, and, you know, familial culture that can be fear-based or have certain limiting beliefs. How did you navigate all that? I asked myself every day. It, it was hard. Um, you know, I, I, I came from, in many ways, a family that put more stock into the here now than the hereafter. They weren't uh-huh. one, you know, they were religious people, but it was just, you know, a family of service, a family 
that just wanted to make the most out of here and now and very grounded and intellectually based. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was, you know, growing up, I was a lot more comfortable in that realm than this realm. I was very much defiant against um, this this construct and what was, you know, happening you know, to me. Um, I, I didn't process or talk to anyone about my near-death experience uh -huh. uh, probably almost 20 years later. Um, uh -huh. And um, that's because I picked up a book by New York Times bestselling author that was gifted to me by one of my guardian angels uh, by, by the name of Betty Aidy called Embraced by the Light, you know, her bestseller. Yes. I've, I've read that, yeah. And so Betty's experience gave me universality behind what I had and a terminology because it was just this big thing that I pushed down throughout, you know, many years, kind of like a beach ball in the water, but eventually it just had to pop up. And so Betty to this day, I owe my whole career to and almost life to, to give me the lexicon, the empowerment and universality of defining that experience. But it was, it was, it was very hard. I was, um, quite defiant against, you know, the religious element. Mm -hmm. I was quite defiant that um, in a way that we were judged, you know, and I come from a very high achieving family that, you know, mm -hmm. the grades were almost, you were just judged minute to minute, you know, transactionally. It was quite mm -hmm. a contrasting experience to what I kind of knew within. And mm -hmm. I saw my parents a little bit differently as, you know, before that I kind of put them on a pedestal and now after experiencing God, it's just, I understood that, you know, they're just people too. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, so and that, souls and, and, souls. and, you know, as equals, as opposed to the hierarchical structure of the family. Right. And so that led to a lot of relational aggression, particularly being cognizant of the past lives that I had and how now is just put in this child's body and with these parents. And I just, at times subconsciously or consciously just couldn't engage with them as parents. I sometimes took talk down to them and I was mean to them. And mm -hmm. you know, I, was, I was quite a difficult child. I, you know, I'll be the first one to admit that. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. <laughs> and, and I think about um, you getting to experience the, the perspective of, of why you're here, at least part of it um, as it relates to a past life and, and that you, understand that you've got this greater connection to God or, you know, universal intelligence, whatever you want to call it. But you still struggled with the the human um, woundedness, didn't you? Absolutely. I think part of it was um, a lot of insecurity. Um, mm -hmm. And I think once I was able to, to generate confidence and hope, you know, past, you know, some of the pain that I experienced, and that's when I got a lot more empowered and, you know, the rest, you know, kind of trickled itself into change. I think a lot of people struggle with concepts of, you know, their life's purpose in a sense that they are living on a limited version of their development and almost kind of like uh -huh. this egoic understanding that um, isn't open-ended to change. And people are very stuck in how they see themselves. And through this, through this experience, I understood that there is a value of curiosity with how you see life and how you see yourself. And mm -hmm. uh, while I did experience a part of the afterlife, it was more of not close-ended, but rather um, to me, you know, after that experience and almost obsession to kind of learn more. And mm -hmm. I think part of the way that I was able to do that was to look at myself with curiosity, exploration and never be defined. So 
that was hard when people tried to define you, label you, and put you on this conveyor belt and mechanism, you know, right. as if you're just a, an empty canvas with nothing there. It was mm -hmm. hard. <laughs> and it's really difficult, I think, um, as a, a, a human being with purpose, to not take on the belief systems of the structure within which we are raised, um, at least to a certain degree. We may be rebelling against it, but part, like for me, took me a long time to let go of the belief system that had been projected onto me and say, no, wait a minute, who am I really? And what is my purpose really? Did you find that you had to kind of take layers of other people's belief systems off of yourself? Yeah, I mean, particularly being Jewish, you know, coming out of generations of Holocaust, you know, family members, right? you know, there's a lot of pressure in a sense that you had family members who would fight, you know, when their lives were, you know, in front of them and they would still practice the faith. So, you know, right. that kind of guilt, uh, you know, as I think is in every culture, but I know certainly the pressure, you know, sure. to kind of abide by it and follow it, particularly going to private school, you know, I kind of felt a bit of pressure to, to follow right. the financial burdens that, that were put on. Uh, but there's a lot of positives to it. I think religion becomes dangerous when that's your primary base. You know, when that's your foundation, right? You know, that's when it becomes problematic, because I just see it as a trap as deep as you go into. Mm -hmm. It's it's limiting, in a sense. So I think if your own connection to life, which I refer to as spirituality, is your mm -hmm. primary base, then I think you're a lot more empowered to take on Know, other belief systems and even yeah. enhance your own spiritual practices but and i think it also makes sense because you're 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 with spirituality it's it's your direct connection to direct you know, connection God, you know all yeah. it is whatever you want to call it um and yeah with religion you've got community there are there, there are cultural aspects of it that are beautiful like you were talking about yom kippur or the day of atonement um and for me, you know, Christmas is a very sacred time because it's really the birth of, of hope in a sense, not just right. about Jesus. You know, so the, the cultural aspects can be very beneficial too. But yes, it's like we have to be careful not to just step into the box and not see what's beyond the box and not mm -hmm. knock down the, the edges of the box or the sides of the box when we feel right. we need to. Yeah, I mean, people are very fixated on one color in the prism and not the light behind mm -hmm. it. And so that's a beautiful way of saying yeah. it. And I, my son has talked about that exact same yeah. thing. That's, that's yeah. something to, to bear in mind. Yeah. Um, because it could lead itself into a lot of separation and mm -hmm. um, truly understanding, you know, part of seeing ourselves as one is to take away a lot of what we've been programmed to and to mm -hmm. kind of like the Buddhist kind of philosophy was to burn away all the extra stuff to get to the core truth in essence. Yes. And, that's what I try to practice. Right. Okay, so how do you incorporate what you've learned, not only from your near-death experience, but as you've processed who you are in this lifetime? Because I know you see clients. I know that you teach workshops. Um, what important aspects of this um, do you share with clients and uh, workshop participants? Well, I mean, I think with my clinical social work, you know, background, mm -hmm. um, a lot more of my work is not telling clients everything, anything, but asking questions and empowering clients. Right. And every client's on their own ladder of the, of the rung of the ladder. Workshops, I get more direct into teaching and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, but um, I would say the experience has informed me of 
how holistically and multidimensional we are and the value system of being able to really entertain all those parts. My near-death experience to me was my ultimate educator. Um, and it's something that I didn't recognize was my ultimate classroom in the life. And I think, you know, for me, you know, within different examples, you know, people will use some type of CBT skills, at least for me personally, I, I try to give more power to that experience and to remind myself of the impermanence of this world, mm -hmm. you know, everything is changing, but there's a deep part of ourselves that can never be damaged, no harmed. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big lesson, especially in this times when, you know, that impermanence is very high tuned in front of us with everything happening. Mm -hmm. And the outer world is not conducive for people's lives with everything going on. And so I think my experience speaks to the times in a sense that when you can't grasp for air in the outer world, you have to validate how important that position is because that almost pushes you as a survival skill to tune into something different because right. of the discomfort or being off kiltered of your comfort zone. One of the things you talk about repeatedly in your book is um, your rebellion and your disdain for so much of the fear within various aspects of culture. Um, how does fear relate to our growth and how do we process and transcend it? I think, think a lot of it is what we've been programmed to in a sense that uh, this world has, you know, is a much different paradigm than what experienced unconditional, you know, reality as mm -hmm. in a sense that we have to become something or someone or turn into something or someone and if we're not of that ultimate version, we kick ourselves and we don't like. And I think the biggest fear is the self-rejection that we have mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. transactional um, outlook that we have towards ourself and how we view that in the world. You know, because the more that we're able to accept ourselves and engage in that stimuli response within ourselves, you know, when we're struggling, the more the inner is able to be reflected on the outer. Um, and so I think really it's fear is what we've been taught. Love is truly who we are, as Marianne Williamson, you know, says right. work. And uh, that that is so true. And so I think the, the biggest fear that people have, though, is letting go, not just of life, but of themselves. Mm, um, and, yes. and, that's, and that's what I found was when I lost myself, I was able to find something else. And that's not stagnant. That's forever evolving. And, right. You know, that's that's a mark of a beginner's mind and a student. So, so as somebody who's experienced the other side, who's worked through, you know, the the woundedness of being human here on Earth, hmm. what's the purpose of us being here? <laughs> you know, I would say there's a subjectivity to that, you know, in a sense, but there's also a macro universal tied to it. Um, I do think in a way, um, one part is to re-remember, you know, ourselves and to re-remember ourselves, to remember, re-remember each, each other. Um, mm -hmm. I ultimately experienced my NDE in a playground, or as we call it, a child in God's playground. Uh -huh. And I think we've been 
throwing way too many rocks on each other and not pushing each other oh, on the yeah. swing and having fun with each other and right. each other's support system and cheerleaders. Mm -hmm. So I think really it's to remember the unified uh, energy that we have with one another yeah. and the ultimate collateral of not just this egoic consciousness, but understanding the ripple effect of our existence. Mm -hmm. I think some people are so consumed with their own small self, you know, not the bigger implications of the ripple effect that they have, mm -hmm. you know, on the world through their lifetime. So I think mm -hmm. it's to make a dent and make a mark. Uh, that's certainly, I would say, you know, a big, a big one of it. And the other is obviously evolve. The second you see yourself as a soul versus a body, mm -hmm. just as we understand aging of the body, you know, and then mm -hmm. the evolution of the body through Darwin's work, um, we understand through seeing ourselves as a soul that we take away the victimization of not life happening uh, to us, but for us. And there's a greater, mm -hmm. you know, plan at hand. But I think people in their lifetimes, I think part of it is to remind themselves that we are indeed spiritual beings. There is a greater mm -hmm. awareness at hand. There's um, an intelligence much greater than what we what we deem right or wrong. And mm -hmm. so I think we just have to kind of go with the flow and be like water, as Bruce Lee would say, and, yeah. and trust yeah. um, spirit more than our fears. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, before we go any further with the conversation, I wanna make sure people know how they can connect with you. Uh, what's your website? Our website is uh, jacoblcooper.com. It's jacoblcooper.com and www. Yeah, yeah. So, Great. And, yeah. and there you know, people could contact me and check out the book and some of the other services mm -hmm. or events that is interplay. So. Okay, great, great. So we're at a time right now where I feel and I have a deep knowingness that we're at this very important shift on our planet. Are you perceiving it that way as well? Absolutely. You know, in my intro to my book, I made sure to, to really highlight that. Mm -hmm. um, when something is universally happening to all of us, I, I think there's definitely something behind that. Mm -hmm. There's a collective yeah. kind yeah. of thing happening. So, And from my perspective, we've got a lot of fear on our planet right now. And I think it's a great opportunity to face our fears and you know, basically move forward in a, in a creative soul-based way, despite of the, despite the fears. Um, because I think that the, the, the fear is really about death and what you're saying right now is it's a great place. You know, we don't need to be afraid of that. We just need to be cognizant of our soul's path. Yes. And I think part of it too is, um, being aware of the impermanence and the change mm -hmm. outside of ourselves. You know, I was listening to Krishna Das last night, a great musician and teacher, and uh -huh. he was kind of talking about the same terms. And he was kind of saying, we could look at the impermanence as something that deflates us and drives us crazy, or uh -huh. we could seize this moment and say, recognize that every moment there's hundreds of thousands of cells dying in our body. This mm -hmm. body is impermanent, but you know, this time is all we have and, and maximizing it. And I learned that very quickly at the age of three of how quickly this body could go. I think right. part of it is translating um, this temporary world from our eternity and making lasting impact from 
you know, our true vantage point in home. And that really mm-hmm. brings heaven down to earth in a way. I think our souls gravitate the opposite. Our, the eternal soul gravitates a temporary earth plane. We're here to evolve the body of the earth towards, you know, permanent, you know, change so that the veils are a lot thinner. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of thinner veils, um, have you experienced your guides since your near-death experience? I have to be as transparent as I possibly can be. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, but not in the way that I did full-blown in my near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some people who will speak about their guides and talk about every single past life they have with each other, and that's, Uh that's fine. My experience is more of a feeling and more of an awareness, you know, that uh-huh. they're around me. You know, the the finer details that I had are some parts of my NDE aren't, you know, the way I saw it, or at least I'm not able to verbalize it. But right. I know it's there. It's kind of like uh-huh. walking. Do we have to walk around the room to know that we could walk? No, we know we can do it. We don't have to do it all the time. Yeah. So, uh, but I know that they're there, and I speak in my book a little bit about those difficult times. Uh-huh. I think it's important for people to not limit themselves just because their experience or what they have isn't like someone else's. I think, you know, what's that scene? A, a single a single kind of grain of, of hope could generate, you know, lasting changes in our life. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's important to just kind of take what we have and, and make the most of it. And I find it inspirational that, you know, you've, you've seen your guides, you've seen all the cherub little angels, you know, you've, right. you've seen this, greater reality and yet what you describe in terms of your um connection to the inner guidance is what the rest of us have so you know it's, it's kind of like it, it's a it kind of assures us that we've got all that other stuff but sure. we experience within this context of being human sure you know and i, I think the important part that i learned is that environment is always there you know the heavenly dimension is always there uh-huh. but you carry yourself you know and the self to me is past the surface of the portrayal to the world it's right. more that inner eternal observer past the surface of the water and so as you evolve and as you grow so too your ability to kind of match the energy you know the other side enhances and mm-hmm. there's not as much desire to come back as much but rather i think we're all here in this earth school to kind of be guides and angels and evolve for other people and that's one of the gifts of trials and tribulations is one day down the road we're able to also be a guide to people going through what we went through someday i love that (laughs) i love that and i think we all have that opportunity to connect to the god within and be that the earth angel the 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 god to other people Um, not to mention the planet yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. I think if you're able to practice that kind of stuff in this body, you know, it's able to easier translate, you know, when you cross over and uh-huh. you know, being a part of the higher guides and you know, living a life of, of that. Yeah. Jacob, yeah. I'm so grateful you joined us here today. Everybody, jacoblcooper.com. And the name of the book is Life After Breath. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.